Occam's Razor, coming to you live on East FM 88.1, 107.1. I'm Jim Birchall. This is number or episode number 31 of Occam's Razor. I can't believe we've actually got that far. It's only taken us three years or so. I'm joined, <laughs> Sam's laughing in the background. I'm joined again by Sam Collier from hauntedauckland.com. How are you, Sam? Good. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. Uh, did you get up to much this weekend? No, it's just, uh, well, as soon as we're out of lockdown, it's, it's stay at home as per usual for us, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. It's quite a momentous day in New Zealand for those listening. Uh, we've uh, reverted back to, what do you call it, alert level one. Uh, the Prime Minister decided as of 11.59pm this evening, Monday the 8th of June, New Zealand no longer has an active uh, community transmission of COVID-19 and things should return to normal. How are, you, how are you feeling about that? Uh, I'm getting ready to get out there again and, and do a bit of travel. How about yourself? Well, I did a little bit of travel on the weekend. And I know where you're going with this. I can see you being a little bit facetious um, <laughs> there, Sam, because a couple of weeks ago we talked about, uh, it was Maritime Mysteries, episode 29, wasn't it? And we talked at length about uh, ghost ships and, and you know, um, you know spirits sort of, uh, or apparitions on the waterways and stuff like that. And we, and we made a few links between sort of the generation of electricity and apparitions appearing and that sort of thing. Um, down in the central North Isle of New Zealand is Lake Tatawera. Um, it's a lake surrounded by a mountain of the same name, which erupted in 1866. Ten days previous to that, um, a lot of people reported, or well, not a lot of people, but at least uh, 20 people reported seeing a phantom canoe or a, a Maori walker, as it's also known, um, basically gliding its way around Lake Tarawera. And because it was 10 days before the eruption of 1866, which caused significant damage uh, to local villages in the area, uh, many people saw it as a portent of doom, Sam. And... Yep. I had nothing else to do on the weekend, um, and I said, hey, why not? Let's cruise down there. And so I made a big trip on Friday night. I cruised from Auckland down to Rotorua, and I um, took in some other um, some of the sites down there. A little bit touristy, but, you know, these people could use yeah. a lift during these COVID times. Um, and experienced quite a bit of stuff at Whakarewarewa and other geothermal sort of wonderlands. Um and got in touch with some Maori mythology and that sort of stuff, which led me down to Lake Tarawera, where I took a few photos, made a few uh, videos, talked to a couple of locals, that sort of thing. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't see a phantom walker. No, it's always unfortunate, isn't it? It is unfortunate, yeah. but I could see just from uh, a few people who follow Occam's Razor have probably seen on Facebook and or Instagram. I've posted up a few photos um, just on my trip down there, but it certainly sets the scene, doesn't it? I don't know if you've been to Lake Tarawera yourself. Not in a long time. Not in a long time. Yeah, yeah I think I might have gone as a kid, but this is the first sort of experience as an adult. Um, it's It's got that Loch Ness effect to it. If I had to coin something, um, it's, you know, shrouded in fog and the mountains sort of, um, you can't quite see the peak because of the, the fog line and stuff. And the, the water was like a mill pond and, it's, and, and, and I could see how people could sort of get some sort of misty-eyed sentiment when they were standing on the on the lakefront and perhaps see things that weren't, weren't entirely there. Maybe it, maybe it's our old friend Fata Morgana coming back yep. again. A little bit of mirage effect going that, on. That's what we're thinking. Um, and I think we, we touched on this a couple of episodes back, didn't we? Because there was a recent case um, of a Fata Morgana in uh, Tauranga, which is not that far from Rotorua, where I actually went and Lake Tarawera. 
um, and a mirage was witnessed and photographed by a couple of tourists, and it was pretty impressive. Um, and we touched on a couple couple of episodes back just about whether this phantom walker, as people described it, of Lake uh, Tarawera was perhaps a mirage of some kind. And as I said, given the aesthetics of the area and, and that sort of thing, um, admittedly I went, it's June now, so I went in, in early winter in New Zealand, you're probably not going to get the collision of hot and cold air mm. as you would that, that would create um, such an optical illusion. Um, but it certainly sets the scene, you know. It's a, it's a kind of spooky-looking place anyway. Um, I'm, I am pretty gutted I didn't see a, yeah. a phantom walker sort of just casually sailing by, though. It, it would, when you, as you head down that way, it's one of those places that you can just sort of feel the, the Maori history. and Absolutely. It, it still feels relatively untouched and... You, you, yep. get, you do get that sense. Yeah. And I guess in going into that one of those places, you you, you wish that this canoe would show up and, yep. you know, you, you can do. imagine it happening. <laughs> well, I certainly do. Aside from the substandard motel that I stayed in, um, I had a pretty good trip. Um, but the genesis of this um, is that we touched on maritime mysteries and tonight we're going to touch on aviation mysteries. So unexplained and, and paranormal events, um, re- well, in, in regards to sort of aviation and, and mis- we're talking missing planes, we're talking phantom World War Two bombers, this sort of thing. And Sam, you've been doing some reacher. Re- Let's do that again. Sam, you've been doing some research on this. Yeah, well, I, I, as soon as we thought of the topic, aviation mysteries, I, I recalled a story that my dad told me when I was younger. And it, um, it dates back to 1955 when he was just a kid. Um, so, you know, not long after the war, um, living in Manchester, he sees in the sky what he describes as a barrage balloon. I think that's how you say it. Barrage balloon. Bar- barrage balloon, which yep. is kind of looks like a, a little Zeppelin type yep. thing, which is... I know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah one they of those... use them in the war. In the war, yeah, to, yeah. to make distractions for other aircraft and, and, and hazards for them to crash into. Yeah. So in his mind, he obviously knew what it was, but he didn't think that it fit in Manchester at the time as it was floating past. Um, and he's, he's adamant that he stood there and watched it float into the distance. Um Sorry, what year? So this is early 50s. So 1955. Okay, so it was 10 years post-war. Yeah. Okay. So may, maybe, just maybe, it was a random one that came from somewhere and and, yep. and, and caught the wind and blew past. But um, One that was part of a um, display or an air possibly, show or something, something like that. Something like that, or yeah. How did it seem to disappear after he, seen, after he yeah, saw it? Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't see where it went to. Okay. He, he just watched it float off. Okay. Um so we're, I mean, starting, we're starting to think of sort of a time slip here, aren't we? Possibly a time slip, but I you mean... Know, I, you know I get excited about time <laughs> slips, don't you? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, my my picture of Manchester isn't that great, so I don't know what it's like or It's or a little bit stabby, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, you don't feel 100% safe all the yeah. time. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm not sure whether what's surrounding Manchester necessarily, whether you'd see something like that coming to and from or, you know... Mm. I mean, it's not a hilly area. Mm. Um, it's it's relatively flat. You can see the whole um, sort of city if you look left or right to an extent. Yeah. You know, obviously it's built up in parts, but um, and it has a canal system and that sort of stuff. But yeah. you know that that I don't know. That's a that's a tough thing to answer. 
Was it something to him that seemed supernatural, though? Well, it's something that stuck with him. I mean, he's, yeah. he's never been one of these... Uh, he's not a, a non-believer, I'd say, but he, he never really talks about anything paranormal or anything like that. That, that yeah. usually comes from a mum's side. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's one thing that he's he's always held on to. Yeah. And he also mentioned, oh, you know, standing from Manchester, we could also see the Northern Lights at times. But, yeah, um, yeah I guess it was... He was fascinated by war around that time, you know, um, yep. and certain things like that. So and it was, it was still pretty relevant. It was still pretty relevant, you know, yeah. not not that far off. But um, I first got interested in phantom aircraft. Um, for those who've listened to 31 episodes of Occam's Razor, they'll know that I did a little sojourn um, to Omaha Beach uh, almost exactly a year ago now, and I captured some audio which I thought was pretty lack of a bit of turn, shit hot. Everyone, everyone else has listened to it and said, I don't know what the hell you're listening to. I, I can't hear anything. We've, we've compared it to a Yanni versus Laurel sort of a situation. Um, I heard some engine noise, basically. Well, I didn't hear it at the time. So there was no aircraft above me. I said, I'm at Omaha Beach. I, I run a, you know, I do a show on the paranormal. I'm going to take a little recording, see if I can pick up anything from the, um, you know, from the, realm outside r1 um and there's a little bit of engine noise right at the start which i got excited about no one else can basically hear it but that's fine that's fine i'm happy to just say hey (laughs) i may or may not have captured some phantom engine noise but when i used to live in kent in the uk i lived in maidstone uh, i think we've, we've spoken about this before but kent was obviously pretty close to to you know france and there was a lot of raf um uh, you know, a lot of RAF airfields and stuff like that in Kent and, you know, given its proximity to France and so forth. So it's got, you know, pretty extensive sort of um, World War Two history. Um, a lot of people report seeing phantom, particularly phantom... Le- um, sorry, I've cocked this up. Particularly <laughs> Lancaster bombers uh, in the Kent yep. area. Um, it's quite... I won't say it's quite common, but I've heard at least five, six, seven stories uh, in recent time too. We're not dating them, you know, too far back as a lot of these stories tend to go. I'm talking about sort of from the 90s, 2000s of people um, basically glimpsing, you know, phantom bombers and even phantom spitfires and stuff like that have been reported as well. Now, there is a lot of aerial activity in terms of recreational hobbyists and yep. stuff in, in Kent. I live in... Um, uh, Cleved and not far from here, and Ardmore Airport's down the road. So I'm pretty used to seeing warbirds flying back and forth and, yep. and that sort of thing. Same thing in Kent, you know, weekend enthusiasts will take out their planes and that sort of stuff. So it's not uncommon to see these aircraft in the sky. Well, the bomb is more uncommon, obviously, yep. but, but the Spitfire isn't because people like to do this sort of boys' own recreations of, of um, you know, the Battle of Britain and all this sort of stuff, right? But there is an in inanimate amount of times that these phantom bombers have been spotted over Kent and it happens with with such regularity that it's almost like a people say oh yeah it's you know it's a, it's a statement of fact almost it's yeah. it's it's crazy um I got pretty excited, obviously, living down in Kent because it, it sort of lit the fire under my paranormal sort of uh, 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 Kindle there and and you know, I spent some of my, <laughs> it's it's embarrassing to say now, but I spent some of my weekends out there doing a bit of course fishing and seeing if I could spot uh, phantom airplanes. Sadly, I didn't spot anything. 
uh, which seems to be a recurring theme, obviously, with my investigations. Yeah. Not so much with yours, you know. I know you've. Uh, well, I mean, it, it does happen, you know. It does happen. Yeah. <laughs> some some days, well, you, more often than not, actually. But, you know. right. Some days you do a lot of work and don't yeah. get a lot of result in, in the paranormal game, right? So, are, are people saying that they're just seeing them, or are they hearing them as well? This is the thing: people aren't hearing them. Right. They're seeing, and this is what lends credence to it for me. Um, we've talked a lot in the past, you know, about my theory about, you know, stone tape theory and that sort mm. of stuff. But how, applying that to this, how are these phantom planes being seen when there's no sort of conductive material up there to 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 replay the recording of the past? Depends on how high they are, I guess. I mean, and, you know. Yeah. I mean, surely there is conductive um, mm. energy the higher you go up. True. But, um, yeah, I mean, bombers, they would be relatively low-flying, I would imagine. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, are they are they seeing actual planes or is that, are they seeing, you know, magnified shadows of birds? I mean, I know that's a, that's, that's a stretch. That's thing. But yeah, particularly if they're not hearing noise, right? Mm. Because, you know, if you see the, the people doing their recreations and stuff, you know, you're going to hear the engine noise. That's all part of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I've seen that myself. I've been down to Dover and watched some air shows and, and that sort of thing. So I know, you know, the I know the sound that you would hear, but these people are, are reporting not hearing any sound at all. Yeah. Where do, where do we go from there? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would imagine you'd you would hear them before you see them, right? That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I would think, unless they're actually looking up and seeing them, I, I can imagine they would probably see the shadow first. Yep. And like I said, that's possibly a, a bird or something else going through the sky. Mm. Maybe a glider. I don't know what the area is like, but. Mm. All these people are just sort of, you know, not with us. Not with the rest of us. That's a possibility It's a possibility as yeah, well. It's always a possibility. There does seem to be... I've actually spoken with um, sort of a, a professor who deals in parapsychology and stuff like that in the UK about um, this phenomenon, and he says, yeah, it's, it's reported quite often, um, not just with aeroplanes, but, um, you know, replays of, of battles and things like yep. that, and that sort of stuff seems to happen around... Um, I used to live, as I said, in Maidstone. There was a town called Battle, I think it was spoken about before, basically where the Battle of Hastings took place. Yep. Um, and there's there's a lot of, you know, reports of apparitions and people hearing things in particular at night and stuff like that. So, I don't know. It probably ties into um, our whole ley lines theory, you know. Yep. What do you well, think? Well, I mean, that, that's that's possible. I mean, yep. I, I kind of like that idea. Yep. Um, you know, replaying over and over again is, is something that we... We think about it a lot, yep. Especially when it comes to to ghostly apparitions and things like that. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it's it's always that's always one theory. Yep. I mean, if we look towards sort of the um, modern, well, not the modern day, but I suppose if you look towards what the Nazis did um, in terms of. I think, you know, they were probably ahead, technologically they were ahead um, of their time in terms, we, we all know what the science, you know, the scientists they use and yep. that sort of stuff, but technologically they were ahead of their time in terms of aircraft development and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised, Th these sort of experimental aircraft don't go anywhere once the war finishes, you know, they don't just stay in Germany and get scrapped. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I'm thinking, we hear a lot of reports of sort of, you know, um, 
you know, planes not from that era and stuff like that that was developed. And I think perhaps the Nazis did reach, well, not just the Nazis, but I think, you know, even the Allies probably reached that point where they developed aircraft that, you know, wasn't utilised during wartime but was flown in the years after that. And I think that can probably account for a lot of these these sightings. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Think so? Yeah. Well, we, we, we've, we've got things like stealth bombers as well, you know. You yep. think of... of uh, they they were confused for, for UFOs for a very long time and, and you know, no one knew about them, so Absolutely. So from about I think about nineteen seventy nine, eighty yeah. onwards, weren't they? I mean they were they were came the most prevalent sort of in the Gulf War about ninety one. Yeah. That's when the most the public knew about them. Yeah, but they that's had, right. they had been around for sort of about ten years. And if you saw that, you know, coming at you pretty quickly, um, above a Nevada desert or something like that. Yeah, well I mean, especially when you'd never seen one before as this well. This is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of the things, you know, there's a lot of misidentification comes into things as yeah. well. What do you, uh, have you ever seen the photo of the airman? Um, they've, they call him Freddy in the photos, but he's basically a, a, a ghost. They said he was an airman called Freddy, and I've heard a couple of different versions of this, but the photo is quite famous, and it shows up a lot in, in, in ghost books and that sort of yeah. thing. Um, he. The, the story goes he walked into a propeller two yeah. days before the uh, photo of his squadron was taken. I think it was in, like, 1943, something like that, 44. Yeah. Um, and and in the photo, for anyone who's listening, they've probably seen the photo because it's if you Google ghosts, it'll probably come up pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and you see basically half a face of an airman called Freddy uh, behind his squadron, and he died two days he's, earlier and the, the narrative is that everyone in the squadron or that was involved with the photo id'd him and said yeah that's freddy and you know what the hell is he doing there because he was dead yeah what do you think of that photo well they're, they're very adamant that it is his likeness yeah um i mean at first i would have thought maybe double exposure um i mean it that it's half of his face behind another soldier that's there and you know with with the old-fashioned cameras maybe he moved Yep. you know quite quite quickly and and his image was captured twice yeah um that's my initial thought but but to do that the photo would have had to have been taken when he was living obviously yep so it could have just got lo- well, lost well, I in mean, time it, somewhere it looks like the 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 actual living person in front yeah as well possibly but the fact that that all the people that have seen this photo say that you know that it definitely is him and mm. it, it it looks like him there's no doubt about it I've thrown a curly one in here because not long ago I fumbled across a, an article uh, that some paranormal investigator had looked into, and he was, he was pretty thorough. You know, he was an ex sort of military investigator and that sort of stuff. And he came up with um, some evidence was quite interesting. He basically said that Freddie, if that was his real name, um, the story seems to have embellished quite a bit yeah. over time, as you can probably appreciate. Um, they didn't actually have anyone on, um, you know, on the roster or whatever, or the staff list or whatever of, of pilots called Freddy. However, Freddy could obviously have been a nickname, that sort of yeah. stuff. Um, he conducted his investigation quite, you know, 50 years after the event at least. So the majority of that squadron is no longer with us and probably couldn't, couldn't verify the photo if they did it again. I think it could be a case of, as you said, double exposure. And secondly, he said, as he said, there was no guy called Freddie who was involved in the in the squadron or anything like that. Um, and he was of the opinion that 
it was possibly someone who just wandered into the shot. Uh, I mean, I don't know because we'd, we'd have to really analyse the, the image. Does that. look quite translucent, though. Um, mm. If it was, it, it's and not, he's got it's a creepy solid. look of, on his face as well. That yeah. doesn't help, does yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, and it's yeah. not a full face either. No. So I don't know whether it would be someone that's actually walked in mm. uh, more than it is double exposure. But I, I have seen interviews with um, it was an elderly woman who who claimed to have been there on the day, and mm. she says, you know, without a without a doubt, it is the the image of the person that had been killed by the propeller. Mm. Freddie. Yeah, whether you believe her or not. It's not that I don't believe her. I just think these things can get muddled over time. They can, yeah. Do you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, she probably thinks that, you know, she's probably uh, sticks to her guns and says, yep, you know. But if you've been asked something a hundred times yep. to prove something, oh, okay, can you prove it? You're going to say, yes, I can, that's Freddie, you know, and you're going to yep. repeat that narrative over and over, aren't you? Yeah, and I'd like to see more than one photo of what he looked like when he was living. This is the thing. But the the, the thing is no one actually IDs him. They yeah. ID him. I think uh, he has been given a name like, let's just go with Private Frederick Smith or something like yeah. that. And Frederick Smith doesn't appear on any of the on other lists, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and he doesn't, and, and people have looked for his grave and stuff like that, you know, throughout military graves and all yeah. that sort of stuff, and no one can find it. So... I don't know. I think yeah. he's probably busted. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's one of those things that I'd like to keep a mystery, but, you know, I'm not, not 100% convinced. I mean, I'm like that with a lot of ghost photos, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Keep it a mystery, but in the back of my mind, it's like, mm. yeah. You kind of have to be there. Otherwise, it gets boring, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. We touched a couple of weeks ago about Charles Ta Captain Charles Taylor leading the ill-fated... Um, Avenger Bombers Flight 19 on the 5th of December 1945. We came to the conclusion that... Well, we didn't come to it. I came to the conclusion. <laughs> well, we'll hear what you think. Um, to the conclusion that their instruments got messed up. Yep. Um, how they got messed up. Was it the Bermuda Triangle? You know, um, Was there some sort of magnetic abnormality that caused this? Um, who knows? The fact is they probably got lost and crashed. I mean, they lost radio contact. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the record of the flight states, you know, they're they saying, yeah, we don't know where we are. We think we're over, you know, Florida Keys, and they yep. weren't. They were miles away from it all, blah, blah, blah. Are we thinking that there was some sort of atmospheric thing that caused us, or is it just a case of Captain Taylor basically getting lost, mistaking one island for another? Yeah, I think he got lost. Yeah. Um, maybe his navigate navigational devices got muddled up and, mm. you know, he thought he was one place and was actually in another. Mm. And, of course, the ocean's a big place to get lost and, and that's, that's what I believe happened. And we did address that a um, couple of episodes back that it, it is a big area, you know. You think, when people think Bermuda Triangle, they think it's this dodgy little stretch of, um, of water where if you... You know, take your jet ski into that, you're not coming back out, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's a huge area, really. Yeah. And, I yeah. mean, depending on where they crash, if it sinks and it goes pretty deep, no one's ever going to find it. No. That's the thing. I mean, it's... Hey, it's probably... Look, it's probably one of those things that will never be solved until... 
they find, you know, the wreckage of the Avengers would be the first thing. Yeah. Uh, what they can actually tell from that, who knows, because all they'll really find is the wreckage and, you know, the approximate location where they crashed. And it all depends on what kind of state it's in as well. I mean, it might not be in an, in one piece. It might be in quite a few. You remember in Close Encounters? Yep. You know, and and they all came back to Earth and that sort of stuff. We've pinched them. That that's a that's a pretty cool story, though. Yeah. Eh? Let's be fair. <laughs> that's what we all want to have happened, right? Yeah. What what's the likeliness of that though? Probably not high. Probably not very high. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not high at all. Um, I think the fact that they dispatched the the Catalina seaplane as well, um, and that went missing, sort of just added fuel to the fire, didn't yeah. it as well? Well, I mean, if it is aliens, they got to be putting these planes somewhere, so. That's the thing. And why, would they, they, and why would they just blow them up? Do you know? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Because they can. Because they can? Yeah. See, that's why I favour the abduction sort of thing. They got sucked in by this sort of giant marine tractor beam. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That, that's the way I view it. Yeah. That's, a, that's an exciting way to look at it anyway. Keeping things closer to home, 1978, the Kaikoura Lights. Now, yep. I, was, I was only born in 1978, so I don't know... Um, well, I wasn't alive at the time to really comment on this. Yeah, well, I wasn't even twinkling my dad's eyes. There you so. go, you weren't even around. <laughs> so, um, basically, in 1978, an Australian film crew was cross, crossing Cook Strait from the North Island New Zealand down to the South Island, or it could have been the other way around. Either way, they were crossing between the islands. Um, they saw a, sh- a strange glowing... Um, fiery almost looking sort of uh, ball outside the uh, starboard side I think of the plane and it it got stuck in New Zealand folklore from then on um, because they caught it on a film. Have you ever watched some footage of this? I have yeah. You have and what are your impressions? Um, Well I mean a lot of UFO experts I've I've seen in in later interviews have said that it's the most convincing footage they've ever seen Mm. but I mean looking at it it's one of those things where you're recording something at night and it never really quite comes out as clear as you want it to. Especially not in 1978. Yeah, I mean, I could yeah. probably take footage of a helicopter and knowing it's a helicopter and probably come up with the same sort of footage or, or similar to it. Mm. Um, you know, to me it just looks like a a very shaky footage of a, of a star or something like that. I think the fact that... The report came from pilots who are expected to be sort of expert witnesses and, and you know, above, yep. um, you know, any moral scrutiny and that sort of stuff it lends weight to the whole thing. Yeah. And, and the fact, obviously, there was an independent, um, you know, eyewitnesses in terms of the film crew and and that sort of thing and the fact they caught something. Uh, yeah, I would I would probably take the um, the stories over the actual footage itself, Yep. the credibility. Yeah. Um, the the footage doesn't, in my opinion, offer much. No. Um, it's probably too close and too too blurry. Yeah. Now the pilot's reporter, as I, th- I think, it was outside, is the starboard side, but it basically the light was running horizontal with them, and it couldn't really have been any other sort of natural feature. Um, that's what made the whole thing quite interesting. And a, and they were sort of at their wits' end, from what I understand. They were generally concerned that you know it was a, a projectile or another aircraft or something that was gonna gonna stray into their flight path. So you know it did certainly raise things um, in that regard. It was um, yeah. The foot, as I, as you say, it was 1978. We're never going to get any, conf- you know, conclusive footage from that area. It's, no. like, it's like watching the Patterson Gimlin film, you know. Yeah. Regardless of what we're seeing as a man in a suit or a or a you know a, a chubby female, 
Sasquatch. Mm. <laughs> the the footage, you know, just it's, it's just not good enough to allow us to sort of you know speculate on things yeah. or at least analyze things, you know. And that's that's part of the problem with UFO footage in, in general, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and skeptics put it will put it down to you know that's why is it always blurry and that's a convenient excuse for them, um, but you know it, it's. It holds some weight because, you know, you've got to get some crystal clear stuff for people to start believing that, right? Yeah, and like I was saying, filming something at night in the sky is is very difficult. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it is going to be very distorted, very blurry, very shaky, and a lot of your um, perspective is lost as well, mm-hmm. which makes it really hard. So, I mean... We all like to think that if we ever saw a UFO, we would like to pull out our cameras and, and take a shot of it, but the likeliness is that it's going to be just as blurry as everything else. I think, look, we've said this before, but I think the argument is, in the, you know, these days everyone's got a camera, so why are the footage, you know, why is the footage still blurry and that sort of stuff? Yeah. Historical stuff's a lot easier to sort of, sort of slip yeah. one over people with, isn't it? Yeah. Keeping it... Um, let, let's go terrestrial again, shall we, for a while. MH370, everyone's favourite uh, topic, disappeared on the 8th of March 2014. It was a 777 um, aircraft left Kuala Lumpur on its way to Beijing. Um, last seen at, can, uh, what have we got, coordinates 35.6 south and 92.8 east uh, and hasn't been seen since. We've touched on this before. Yep. Um, we've spoken about how we think the captain sort of may have lost his rag and, and basically flown everyone off course, dropped them to such an altitude that, that everyone died before they hit the ground effectively through lack of oxygen. That's it's the theory that they've kind of settled with. It's the it, working theory, right? Yeah. 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 Do you have any deviation on that? Uh, well, yeah, when, when I first heard of the story in the news back when it happened, I was pretty engrossed by it and followed everything and, yep. and tried to be my own little detective at the time. But, of course, it, that all fizzled out, you know, over time when they never found anything. But m- my favourite theory is that um, I think it was Flight Flight 17, the one that was shot down in Ukraine. By the separatists. Yeah. Yeah. Was MH370. That That's... That's, that's a I'll, massive theory. That's a massive theory, but that's the one that I like the most. Where did that come out of? Um, well, I mean, it is a theory that goes online on, on the internet as well, but, I mean, I just... Yeah. When, when I saw it on the news, I thought, well, that's there's there's too many coincidences. There was another Malaysian Airlines flight, um, and it was shot down, you know, seems out of convenience. So you're saying the, the first one disappeared but was supposed to stay gone? Well, I, I, I think it might have been a bit of a swap. Yep. And, you know, there might have been foul play, and then they think, well, you know, we've got to get rid of this plane and shoot it down. Yeah, they, 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 they had a lot been... of people to keep quiet, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, I mean, there were there were um, casualties in that in that one that was shot down in Ukraine, so yep. if there was casualties on MH370 and they wanted to cover it up, maybe crash it into... And... There wasn't, I'm not sure the exact dates, but there wasn't that much time between the two, was there? No. One was 8th of March 14 and 17 July 14, so there wasn't that much time before. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you get rid of a plane that's supposed to have disappeared? You you throw it in the middle of a, of a war zone, don't you? That's true, but where are they hiding this plane and why? Well, who knows? Who knows? There's other theories that it landed on 
what is it, Diego Garcia Island, which was at a mil- US military base camp, you know. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of theories about the people that were on board the plane as well. Mm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we've touched on MH17 in the past um, being full of AIDS researchers and HIV sort of people, um, yeah. scientists and stuff like that. Um, I find that pretty dodgy, that... that that one disappeared. Particularly, it, all, it kind of got... We know who did it, you know, as some mm. separatists and stuff, but it kind of got brushed under the carpet a little bit as well. It's like, oh, you know, we did it, but, you know, it's a war crime and blah, blah, blah. But you didn't yeah. hear much more after it, eh? Yeah. And these HIV researchers were... I think they were coming from a conference, or were they on their way to one? Not sure. I'd have to double-check that. Um that seems very convenient to me to knock off the, the 20 best sort of HIV scientists and researchers in the world, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. And it's very unlucky for Malaysian Airlines. Very Very unlucky, unlucky for them. And, you know... Yeah. It, it just seemed a little bit too convenient for me. That's why I, I, I like that theory mm. the most. That MH17 was a replacement. Yeah. Was, it, it was the same was, plane. Well, it was either the same plane or, or it was... Swapped for for some reason, and those those that died on MH370 were those that were at, at the crash site. Is what I'm saying. And these nefarious powers that be uh, basically hired some sort of Ukrainian separatist to to shoot it down because yeah, in a gun gun for hire sort of a situation. Yeah. So they've got a they've got a, a plane full of already deceased people. Yep. Shoot it down, and then make it look like it was. But a how, would the, how would the connection with the HIV scientists work then? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. Because in my mind, um, them, you know, being in a plane that that was shot down by separatists, I'm thinking the drug companies have got something to do with it. Yeah, well, that that would that Some would be sort convenient of as well. Dark yeah. agents of the drug companies. Well, I mean, as that. long as as long as people are sick, there's money to be made, and you know, if there is a cure for something, and. Mm. That's Maybe too, getting too close to the truth, do we think? Possibly. I mean, it's not like it hasn't happened throughout history. You know, arguably the basically every astronaut that worked on the Apollo program met a, met a uh, unfortunate end, didn't they? Yep, they did. Um, maybe that's because they were going to expose the fact it was being being filmed in the Nevada desert. Yep. Oh, I threw that one in there. Yep. What's your it thoughts on that? Just that interest. Um. As in, was the whole space landing fake? Because mm, you know, I think you know my theory is that I think the footage might be fake. Not so much the mission per se, but the yeah, footage. Yeah, the footage, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of um, theories that Stanley Kubrick was involved in. Yeah. And there were a lot of uh, nods in The Shining. And, and also, you're right, and also, remember Capricorn 1, that yep. film... I mean, that that doesn't come out of nowhere, eh? That's yeah. a hell of a thing to make up, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Almost like someone knew something and yeah. decided to sort of let everyone know about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, I think I think that there were there are a lot of um, very interesting theories that it was faked. Because mm. um, I'm, I'm reasonably satisfied with the... Um, or the blast crater and all that sort of light source uh, stuff that gets argued all the time. You know, you see it. Show up on on these shows and conspiracy shows. I think Mythbusters did a thing on it one time. Yeah. I think we've discussed that NASA's providing this information. Okay, so <laughs> there's not a lot of objectivity yeah. there, though, is there? If NASA's providing it, no, there is. It's isn't. a bit like how the police investigate themselves in New Zealand. I, I find that very strange. Yep. You know, 
Yeah, I mean, things like the flag flying and it, you see it waving, it's like, I mean, I'm never going to go to the moon, so I'm never going to know for, for real yeah. what it's like up there. Yeah. Wouldn't think it would flap like it did, though. And and things like the the, uh, the crosshairs in the photos overlapping certain parts of the image as well, like they've just been digitally placed there. Yeah. Those those things kind of you know had me scratching my head when I when I looked at them. I saw an explanation for the flag um, flying the other day. Did you? There was a show on TV the other night. It was um, probably one of those moon landing hoax conspiracy situations. Um, and they basically just said that yes, there isn't any wind, but it was a case of the flag sort of getting uh, unravelled. You know, it was sort of. It was it was sort of rolled up and towards the bottom corner and that sort of stuff and as it unraveled it got caught on film sort of moving yeah um, and that that accounted for the the alleged sort of shaking of the flag or the yeah. movement of the flag. And what do you what do you think about the um, the shadows? You know I think the whole I think the whole footage is fake. Yeah, I really do. I just there's too many holes in it. There's kind of, and it's it's very difficult to prove not. Withstanding the fact you're fighting against, you know, dark powers to get this information, but um, it just doesn't. None of it adds up. Do you know? What I mean? no. There's just way too many holes in it, and they're genuine holes too. You know, you get them explained by NASA and all this sort of stuff, but you know, you can tell they've done their homework on it. Yeah. You know, when they've when they've come back with answers and that sort of stuff, it gets very scientific and. You know, little little parts of it. You go, are you sure? You know, and they just seem to create sort of a scientific explanation for every little thing, which they have to do because they get a lot of people sort of who are schooled up on their science and yep. all that stuff questioning them, which is which is fair enough. But the whole thing just seems fishy to me. It always has. And of course, there was a reason for them to race and, and rush the footage and, and be the first to do it. Absolutely, because you know Yuri Gagarin had, had been into space. Yeah. Not not long before that, they were saying we don't want these you know these commies to <laughs> to get the jump on us in terms of the space force, do we? No, no. So yeah, I I think it's not to say they haven't been to the moon, but I think that footage is not necessarily legit. legit. Yeah. Um, the guy to speak with would be Michael Collins, wouldn't it? The guy that stayed in the orbiter. Yeah. I think he would hold a lot of secrets. That guy. I think he's still with us. I'm pretty sure it actually. Yeah. Um, Buzz Aldrin, though, um, that his reaction when people come up and, and question him. Um, do you remember that footage and he punches yeah, he that guy? Yeah. Yeah, 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 which is quite it's quite, quite aggressive. Yeah. It's quite funny to watch, though, to be perfectly honest. Um, I I believe him. I think he probably you know I don't think he's lying. I think he probably has been to space. Yeah. As I said, I just think the whole thing was because it was such a stage TV event, you know, and it was all about giving the middle finger to Russia and all that yep. sort of stuff and Cold War and that sort of thing. Um, I just think, look, we've got to make this a slick presentation. You know, it was a it was a time when people didn't know that much about movie making and filmmaking like they do now. They didn't know that much yep. about special effects. None of us have been to the moon. How the hell do we really know what it looks like? We're not going to we're not going to argue with them, are we? Yeah, you know, I mean we are, but, but yeah. we can't. You know, <laughs> if NASA tells me, you know, you go up there and there's no wind, then I'll I'll probably accept it. Yeah, because I haven't been there and probably never will. You know. Yeah, and it's just it looks too good. It's too orchestrated. And when Neil Armstrong says the whole you know one step for a man, it, you can, you know that's just been written by a script, you yep. know, speechwriter, don't you? Yeah, he, he had to do it. I yeah. mean, I mean, it's a 
it's a historical event that mm-hmm. people talk about. He couldn't just say, oh, yeah, we're here now, could yeah. he? Yeah. Still, Sir Edmund Hillary said we've knocked the bastard off, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that seems more like a human thing to say, that doesn't. That's it? more a New Zealand more, thing yeah, too, so as well. That, that's an unscripted thing to say. It's more humble sort of yeah. thing, you know. But still, the eyes of the world were on him. You know, he was yeah. he wasn't going to fake that up, sort of uh, yeah. up Mount Ruapehu, was he? Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> who knows? Amelia Earhart always interests me. We. Uh, we spoke in the past about that photo taken in 2017, uh, allegedly in the Marshall Islands. That's where they think she sort of yeah. came down. Um, there's been a couple of sort of... She was on the way basically to Papua New Guinea and she disappeared. Um, and si, I think it was named Saipon, I think it was the name of the uh, in, um, the place she was sort of headed. But there's a photo that came out in 2017 and it was a, a Amelia Earhart and... Well, wasn't of Amelia. It was allegedly of Amelia Earhart. And to me, it was pretty good likeness. Um, you don't see a full face. You don't see a full body. Um, but she does look a bit like a... The, the person in the image definitely looks like a fish out of water at, at, in the Marshall Islands at yep. that time. And I'm, I'm not sure what to think of this one, to be honest. Yeah. Could there have been forces stopping her achieving it because, you know, the whole... Because she was a woman, etc. I don't know. Was, did she seem like the sort of person who would stand for something like that? You know, she wanted to be the first woman. You know, yeah. But um, and also, it would have been a great headline, regardless of the fact that you know, thing. You know, it was a different time, and, and women were marginalised and stuff like that. At the time, headline writers would have been all over that. You know, first woman to conquer this, and not just because she was a woman, but because she was an American and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think she just would have been a national... Well, she was a national hero, but I think obviously she'd done this, just would have would have blown up, right? She would have been the, the Kim Kardashian of her day. Yep. But, I mean, yeah, the reason why... Why would she fake her own death or... Mm. Why she would wouldn't. she? she why would Yeah, why would she do it? And one theory behind that is that she was a spy. Yeah. Or the Japanese, I think it was. Yeah. So the, the name goes around called Tokyo Rose, where she was a... a an English-speaking broadcaster for Japanese propaganda. Yeah. Um, that was one theory, or another theory was that she was actually captured by the Japanese mm. on the Marshall Islands. And executed too, right? And executed, yeah. Eventually, probably not straight away, but... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think if the Japanese had, had caught her, they would have paraded her around, saying, yep. we've caught your favourite, famous yep. aviatrix, you know, stuff you, Japan's better than America, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Personally, I think they would have done that. I think it's more a case of she might have made it to that island. Who knows? I mean, that could be very well be in the picture, but she crashed somewhere along the line. I think she crashed, yeah. Yeah. Where? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. You know? And until we get some, again, it's like anything, until we get some conclusive wreckage, we're never really going to know, are we? Yeah. I mean, there are reports from time to time saying that they think they know where the wreckage is or, you know, it's it's beyond recognition or, you yeah. know, I've heard theories that, you know, you know, it's likely that she would have been uh, eaten by coconut crabs and any, any remains of her would have been long gone, yeah. you know. I mean, I don't think the Japanese killed her. I didn't think it would be in their best interest to do it because it would have just fueled America as well. Yeah. would have made them even angrier. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And you're right. They wouldn't have done it quietly. No, they wouldn't. They would have showed it off. Um, you, you look at terrorists when they kidnap journalists and that sort of stuff. They parade them, don't they? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think it would have been very similar to that. I don't know. But who knows, Until again, until we find a body. 
Um, who really knows? Now, uh, Rudolf Hess flew a plane to uh, Scotland in the middle of the war, 1941. Um, what do you know about Rudolf Hess? Not a lot. No. I'm, I'm sure you're going to educate me I on am. that one. No, he's basically was, he was Hitler's deputy. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to... Well, the, the, the story goes, I don't know. This is The story goes that... He decided to break ranks and fly to the UK to broker a peace deal. So he took off uh, and he, he ended up in Scotland. I'm not sure he ended up there. Probably he was just trying to avoid sort of the coastal defences and stuff like that. And he, they picked him up, obviously, and they arrested him. Um, I think he just surrendered himself to a to a basic airman, sort of or military policeman or something like that. And he was obviously taken to you know see the big wigs. Um, he said he wanted to broker a peace deal. The Allies didn't trust him and just threw him in the slammer, um, where he stayed until he was transferred into Spandau Prison and, and died in the 1980s. So the mystery has always been, A, why did he fly over there? Why did he... Was he a genuine sort of, you know, did he want to get away from the Nazis and generally do a you know, peace deal? Was he some sort of subterfuge sent by the Nazis to distract Britain for some reason or the other? Um, Colin Wilson, the late Colin Wilson, um, who, was a, who was a great writer on the paranormal and the unexplained, he speculated that Rudolf Hess was... The guy that flew over was not the real Rudolf Hess. Right. Um, he never. I mean, he was. He was never formally identified, but it was. A, it was difficult in those days. You know, they did fingerprints and stuff. But from what I understand, they didn't have any of his prints on file. Um, and because he was in enemy territory, you know, it was obviously pretty hard to acquire any any information on him, personal information on him. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the 1940s, it wasn't a case of sort of just googling and looking things up. They could have quite easily used an imposter, um, as I said, for, you know, subterfuge or, or similar. The question is, why would they do that? Um, to distract Britain from what? Who knows? Um, I think he was genuine. I think he was probably the real guy. Um, I think they didn't realise, well, they didn't expect or anticipate someone from, you know, within the Nazi interior to make such a trip so they were pretty suspicious yep. of him the whole time and said, mm, we'll just lock you up. Yep. Yeah, and I'm sure he got sort of, you know, uh, he got the, the uh, phone book over the face a couple of times, you know, using <laughs> for info, but from all accounts he was pretty cooperative and and um, he spoke English well and, and, you know, answered all the questions and that sort of stuff. Yep. And then, you know, in terms of military intelligence, they weren't going to, you know, tell the news of the world what this guy had been telling them and that sort of stuff. So they just locked him up and he just stayed there for the rest of his days and until he was transferred after the war to Spandau, Spandau Prison. So I think he was genuine. I think he was the real guy. Yeah. Still uh, the enemy, though, so they, they had to be still, careful, they, Justin. They case. had to. They had to. Um, pretty strange thing to do, though, you know. I'm wondering if he had some sort of... I mean, he wasn't a career soldier. That was the thing. He was he was you know, quite a political guy as well. Yeah. Um, if someone's got that honour of being a career soldier, you know, they would. There's a possibility that they would surrender the enemy and say, "I'm not happy with what's happening back home." You know, blah blah blah. But why would you? <laughs> you know, even if you didn't agree with the regime, why would you yeah. try and defect? And if you had defected, why would they lock you up straight away? 
people. Imagine there. the intel he held, though. Imagine, imagine. But maybe, maybe there was some sort of heritage that he wanted to keep secret. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, he might have, he might have been Jewish or something like that. You know. Well, possibly. Yeah. Um, they had. Yeah. People have talked about that. Yeah. So that's interesting. Maybe said, yeah. Um, I'm Jewish. I'm getting the hell out of here, but I'm not. Yep. I'm not going to tell anyone. And I'll before anyone finds out, I'm just going to hightail it and uh, fly to a safe haven in Scotland. Yep. Strange place to fly to, but again, he was probably trying to avoid coastal defences and, yep. and stuff like that. So that that's always been an interesting story. But again, we'll never really know unless some sort of black document gets released. Yeah. But but further down the track. Um, a few years ago, uh, I think it might have even been another Colin Wilson book. I've, I don't want to keep calling out Colin, but he was a great writer. Did you ever read any of his stuff? No. He, so, um, he wrote a lot about the paranormal, but also a lot about the occult and just min- mysteries in general and that sort of stuff. But he knew his stuff. And uh, I think his son's name is Damon Wilson. And he's... Oh, hang on. Sorry, that was Siri just decided to take up. Someone's listening to us, aren't they? Yep. Uh, sorry, uh, Colin, and uh, he's survived by his son, Damon, who, who writes as well. But um, Colin Wilson had this theory on Glenn Miller. Do you know who Glenn Miller is? No. <laughs> okay, now, he was a major in the U.S. Army. Basically, he was a band leader. He wore a uniform, but, you know, because it was good for morale when he got around. And he was a bit of a Bob Hope of the time, right. you know, he had... He had, um, you know, he had all the patter and, and um, you know, he, could, he conducted bands and he was a singer and all this sort of stuff. So he went, officially he died in an air crash on December 15, 1944. Um, the plane, uh, so it was, yeah, okay. So he died in an air crash. It left Clapham, uh, not Clapham, London, but Clapham in Bedfordshire, actually. And again, officially disappeared over the English Channel. Um, now, the thing with Glenn Miller is he was an American icon. He was a star of the war. Um, he was a bit like Dame Vera Lynn, but a male yeah. version of him, you know, of her, sorry. And as I said, officially the plane crash landed the Channel and they never heard from him again. Colin Wilson, in one of his books, Speculated, and he wasn't the first person to speculate. He was sort of just going off information that others had garnered that Glenn Miller um, actually died in a Paris bordello uh, a couple of days before said plane crash or alleged plane crash. Right. And he wasn't on that plane at all. Now, from what I understand, the plane did crash. There is a record of this. Whether Glenn Miller was on board or not is a different story. Now, Colin Wilson tells a story that he was in Paris. He was up to no good. He had a squeaky clean image. You know, I think he had a wife back in the, in the States, yeah. etc. cetera. Uh, he got on the drink in a, palace bo- a Paris bordello and got into a scrap with, you know, a guy watching the watching the door, effectively a bouncer would call him in yep. today. Uh, the bouncer punched him. Glenn Miller fell over, whacked his head and died um, outside. The body was quickly, well, they called the U.S. military and, and so forth. Um, after it, was, it must have been after liberation, obviously. Yeah, it was December 15th of France. So they picked him up, they got rid of the body and they made up this cock and bull story that was uh, died in a plane crash, which, you know, I think it's probably got some weight to it. Yeah, know. preserving his image, right? Preserving his image, you know what I mean? Especially those days because no one caught not... Would, 
would have caught anything on this cell phone. Yep. And if you wanted to keep things quiet in those days, you could, you know? Yep. You know? His music still played today. They actually played on East FM where we're broadcasting from 88.1, 107.1. Do you listen to a bit of Glenn Miller yourself? No, I can't no. say. Can't yeah, say you it. can't say you have. Yeah. My grandma used to talk about him all the time. Yeah. I didn't bring up this sort of sordid uh, rumour about him. Um, and, and if any of Glenn Miller's family are listening in the off chance, not insinuating anything, but, but the story I heard is um, well put forward by Colin Wilson is one that, you know, would certainly require some consideration. And it's probably one of those things that is true. Yeah. Um, well, at least I'm sure it's not an isolated incident. I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> something like that probably has happened. Almost certainly. Yeah. I heard a story about a certain US president getting locked outside the White House naked uh, <laughs> while he was um, involved with a, with a concubine yeah. as well. So you're right. I mean, a lot of these stories just get swept. Probably not these days, though. Do you know what I mean? It would be a lot harder to do it these days. It, uh, it would be, but I think I mean, there's a lot more leaks now because everyone wants to be famous, you yeah. know? I think if Glenn Miller was to, alive today, that story would have definitely come out. Yeah. Do you know? So, I don't know. We've uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. You got any other aviation mysteries for us? Um, yeah, the one that I did come across, and it was an aircraft called the Lady Be Good. Lady, Lady be good. Lady be good. Tell us more. Um, it was a B twenty four D. Yep. Yep. I don't know if that means anything to you. I'm not. I'm not that big on uh, on aviation knowledge, but it was a a, a war aircraft. Um, Sounds like a bomber. Uh, yeah, it does be, sound like yeah. a bomber. Yeah. Um, and it was co-piloted by a, a Rob F. Toner, and they they managed to find his diary. So what? Uh, what year? Sorry, what year was this? Uh, this uh, it flew out in nineteen forty three. Yep. So flew uh, out from where to where? Um, it was it was a US US aircraft that flew to combat uh, in a raid on the first first combat mission uh, flying through Naples. So it was April fourth, nineteen forty three. Allegedly crashed, undiscovered until nineteen fifty eight. Um, they found it in Libya. So no human remains were found at the crash site. Um, there was. Um, the, although they were found later on in 1959, so eight the human remains were eight of the nine human remains were later found in 1959 inside the plane or outside of the plane in so Libya. In, in Libya, that's um, weird. When they when they uh, inspected the aircraft, uh, it was relatively in good in good nick. Um, they found bottled water that would appear to be fresh. They found ground coffee that appeared to be fresh. Uh, guns and ammo, all in good working order. The radio was in good working order. And, uh, yeah, eight, eight out of the nine uh, remains were found, so possibly one person still there. Interesting. By it's, the craft. It sounds like an airborne Marie Celeste, doesn't it? Yeah, the, well, that, that, that's a, the exact... Is that how it's described? That's, that's how it's described, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think happened? Well, quite possibly... Um, I don't know. I mean, it possibly crashed, but not a not a major crash. And you mean uh, like a land, like like a like a <laughs> like a like a, like a, a, a very very uh, uh, poor landing. Yeah. Um, they got lost. They didn't know where they were. And the Libyans stole the plane, possibly. Um, or someone was using the plane as as a, a home, I guess. 
Someone's living in the plane. Someone was living in the plane. Before that's what they reborrowed like. it. You know? Yeah. That's weird. It is weird. It's strange. It, it's a strange it crashed, story. If it crashed somewhere remote, I could understand that. People living in the plane. Maybe. Well, I mean, the, the plane took off in 1943, and in 1959, they're finding fresh water and ground coffee on board. Yeah, I see your point. That would be pretty stale, wouldn't it? Someone set up shop, haven't yeah. they? Unless it's, uh, some, unless it's done sort of some sort of uh, dimensional shift. Yeah. It's gone on a journey between our realms. Yep, there goes those time slips again. There we go, it's me and again on the time yeah, slips. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it seems strange that, I mean, I don't know, possibly the, the crew jumped, jumped yep. the aircraft, and that's why they went found with the, the crash site, or the land site, whatever we want to call it, but, hmm. or maybe they they uh, were safe on board and managed to get off the aircraft and were killed later on. By some sort of... By rogue trikes sort of water yeah. wandering around, or yeah, or Interesting. or the the ninth person mm. just went a little bit crazy, stir crazy, and <laughs> and killed the rest of them. Well, we may never know. All right. Well, that's the end of Occam's Razor. Yep. Episode thirty-one's been fascinating as usual, Sam. Thanks to everyone for listening on at eighty-eight point one one oh seven point one East FM. We'll catch you next time. See you later.